your own time you're wasting. <laughs> right. We're in a series of big questions. And today, to grow or not to grow? That... So let's pray. For God does speak. Now one way and now another. And Lord, it's our desire that you would speak to us this morning. Perhaps you want to, perhaps you just say in your own heart, Lord, speak to me. I've come this morning to hear your voice, whether it's through something Brian says or as he's kind of dripping on at the front that your Holy Spirit would speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his kingdom in our lives. Amen. To grow or not to grow. In his um, letter to the early Christians in Colossae, Paul reveals his life mission. He says, him, that is Jesus, we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. He goes on, for this I toil, struggling with all the energy which he mightily inspires within me. Paul didn't want his converts to be saved and stuck in the spiritual nursery. He wanted them to grow, to become mature in Jesus. We're looking today at the question of Christian growth or spiritual maturity, a question which actually doesn't it have a bearing on every one of us. Am I growing? Am I growing as a Christian? Or am I pretty much the same as I was a year ago or five years ago? And in a year's time, will I be any different? Will I have grown spiritually as a Christian from what I am today? And I, let me be clear, I don't come to this as the doctor. I come as a fellow patient. I don't come as a professor. I come as a fellow student. And this is a huge subject. There's a great deal more that could be said that I won't be able to say in half an hour. Spiritual immaturity seems to have been a problem since the very earliest days of the church to the early Christians in Corinth. Paul includes in his letter, I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly, your mere infants in Christ. And that same sense of your infants occurs in a couple of other letters as well seems to be a common theme. You're still infants. So what does spiritual growth look like? What does maturity in Christ look like? Well, I'm no great expert, but I can make a few suggestions. I'll make three. I think it's the growth of our faith, our understanding of God and his ways, and our confidence, our trust in him and his ways. I think secondly, it's got a lot to do with our character, 
who we are, the kind of person that we are, and thus, out of our character, how we live each and every moment of our lives. My understanding is the one thing that we'll take out of this world, and I remember a little story of Tom, Dick and Harry, who, Harry was the one with all the money, but he died. Tom said to Dick, he's died. Dick said, what did he leave? Everything. But the one thing we don't leave, I believe, that we take into eternity with us is our character, who we are. And I believe that this life is, well, this is just the preface, isn't it? Our time here is just the preface to the big book of eternity. And the one thing we'll take with us is our character, who we've become in this life. That was secondly, our character. Thirdly, spiritual growth. I think it's got to do a lot with our love for Jesus. Do you know, in his final prayer, John 17, there's a long prayer of Jesus before he's arrested and goes to the cross. And do you know what the final prayer is in his prayer? He says, Father, that the love that you have for me may be in them. Jesus prayed something quite incredible, that you would love him in the same way that the Father loves him. Spiritual growth, I think, has got a lot to do with our love for Jesus. So, how? How can we foster and encourage our own spiritual growth, and indeed, the spiritual growth of others? Well, I've got five points to share with you today. Firstly, the essentials. When I became a Christian, a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago, I was told, you've been born again. You're a newborn. And what happens when newborns are left to themselves? They don't do well. What does a newborn need? What's the first thing, vital thing, a newborn needs to do? Breathe, yes, thank you. Newborns need to breathe immediately, constantly and unceasingly. And I was taught that my new breathing is prayer. No surprise then that Thessalonians tells us, pray without ceasing. I was also taught that I need sustenance. 1 Peter tells us, like newborn babes, Eagerly desire the pure spiritual milk of the word that by it you may grow up. Both of these topics, prayer and the word, could have a sermon series of their own. But very briefly, pray without ceasing. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How would you do that? I think it's got something to do with keeping the line open. You know, I think of Adam and Eve and how they got led astray because they, they dropped the line, they dropped the call, they listened to another voice. I think we can imagine ourselves as, soldier, as a soldiers on manoeuvres with a headset like this, constantly in contact with HQ. You know, like your, your mobile phone, you know, you're sitting there, with, you're, you think your mobile phone's doing nothing. Your mobile phone is constantly and busily checking in to the network, not necessarily needing anything to say. It's going, have you got any messages for me? Any emails? Any texts? Anything for any of my apps? It's doing that all the time. It's checking in. It's like every mobile phone has a little chip in it, 
That's its dedicated job. I call that the intima chip, that it's keeping intimately connected to the network. And when God created us, he put something like that chip in us, a desire to stay connected to him. Pray without ceasing. Keep the line open. Don't do what Adam and Eve did. What did they do? They hid. Don't hide from God through your daily life. Keep the line open. Our air is prayer. And our food is God's word. And if we don't eat, what happens to you if you don't eat? You don't thrive. You don't grow. We read, man shall not live by bread alone. We need a daily diet of God's word. Do you like going a whole day without eating? I know you do sometimes because you choose to do that for good reasons. But seriously, do you go a day without food willingly, happily? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we read the Bible. We open the Bible every day. And I'm going to tell you that when I open my Bible each day, it's not about the black ink on the, on, on the white page. I want the bread of life. What's the bread of life? Is that the black ink on the white page? No. The bread of life is Jesus. He said it. I'm the bread of life. So when we go to the, the God's word on a daily basis for our sustenance, I'm looking for Jesus. I want to meet with him. I want to hear his voice. Not, I don't just want to learn a verse for the sake of, oh, that's another verse I've learned. I want to meet with Jesus. I want more of Jesus. What else do we need? Next, we need warmth. That newborn needs warmth, shelter, love, Christian fellowship. Meaningful, honest relationships with other Christians, sharing time and experiences. Yesterday morning, I had a, a wonderful morning. I met with a dear Christian friend. We just met, walked around on such park, tried to avoid all the park run people. And we just shared for a couple of hours what's going on in our lives together. And at the end of our big walk around, we walked back to the car park. We just prayed for one another. It was glorious. It was probably the, hi it was the highlight of my week to meet with the dear Christian friend and enjoy some honest fellowship with him. We need relationships with other Christians in which we can be honest and accountable. You know, just like the members of my body are honest with one another. Do you know that? You know, if my hip is hurting, yeah, it's starting to wear out a bit now. If my hip is hurting, it's honest. It says to the rest of the body, I'm hurting, please stop running. You're wearing me out, yeah? The parts of my body, do you know, actually, I don't know about you, but the parts of my body, do you know how they feel about one another? They're crazy about one another. They love each other to bits. Yeah, we need one another. We need to be in relationship with one another, not trying to live the Christian life in isolation. And of course, that's why we need to be in a small group, but not only a small group. We need to have one or two Christian friends, not just your your spouse, your partner, but what are the other Christian friends that you have a real relationship with of encouragement and honesty? So we need relationships in which we can be honest. And does the baby stay in the cot for the next 70 years? No, of course not. 
They start by taking a few faltering steps. We all know that to grow and to stay healthy, we need exercise, don't you? You're getting lots of exercise. You need exercise. What's a Christian's exercise? Well, it's putting into practice the things that we're learning. Also known as obedience. A saying yes to Jesus. We need to say yes to Jesus. And serve and follow and obey him. That's our exercise. These are the baby basics of healthy, sustainable, spiritual life. Regular prayer. Regular word, regular fellowship, and obedience, service. And what's true for babies, is that equally true for adults? Yes. These are the basic essentials of a normal Christian life. If any are missing, health and growth will suffer. So how are you doing on the basics? Pray without ceasing. As good as you can. Keep the line open. Be in God's word. Be in fellowship. Be in service. How are you doing? Give yourself a mark out of 10. Okay. But these are just the beginning. These are just the basic essentials. There's more. One day, Jesus gave a fantastic lesson in not only how to grow, how to stay healthy, and to be fruitful, he also showed us the kind of special relationship that he wants us to have with him. Here it is in John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already made clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Being a Christian is not an on-off thing. It's a remain thing. It's a steady state. A branch which remains in the vine, in the trunk, as it were, is anchored. It's got an anchor. It's steady state. It's resourced. It's getting what it needs from the vine to grow, to bear fruit. How? By remaining in. The only way, isn't Essex, the only way is in. The relationship Jesus offers us is not an arm's length relationship. It's not an on-off thing. It's the most intimate and constant relationship you could possibly imagine. If we read the New Testament with our eyes open and our brains switched on, we discover something that's constantly repeated. It's the central controlling idea that runs through the New Testament. If anyone is in 
Christ. They are a new creation. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus, again, back at John 17, his long prayer. I have made, he's talking to the Father. He says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known so that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Do you know there are almost 200 references in the New Testament to being in Jesus and he in us. That's an average of about one a page. It's no exaggeration to say that the central controlling idea of Christianity is union with Jesus, trusting him, obeying him, hanging out with him, remaining in close contact with him. That's how we grow, united to him. Sharing life with him. Um, there's a J.B. Phillips uh, paraphrase of this John 15, I am the vine. He puts it like this. He who shares my life and whose life I share, he it is who proves fruitful. Next, the growth is in the grit. Research has found there is one common characteristic of successful people. What do you think it is? Intelligence, good looks, IQ, EQ. Research looking at thousands of successful people finds the one common denominator is, interesting, resilience, grit. There are many Bible stories of people who God led through trials and suffering because he was preparing them to grow maturing them to do something great. In the letter of James, there's an amazing, extraordinary passage. It goes like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, steadfastness, grit. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This passage is telling us, teaching us to welcome trials, to welcome suffering and setbacks. You know, Christianity, I think it's the only religion in the world which makes any real sense of suffering and setbacks. And it gives us a positive purpose and mindset with which to face suffering and setbacks. Why pure joy? Because, well, facing trials, it builds up resilience and teaches us to have a positive mindset. Um, Dan recently reminded me about that thing about a tree. When you cut a tree, you see the rings? There's the fat, light-coloured rings. Well, that's the summer growth, it gives the tree its bulk. But the thin dark rings, that's the growth when it's cold and harsh and uncomfortable. Those dark rings give the tree its strength. If it wasn't for the dark rings, the trees would bend over, fall over. 
I believe that what's more important than the trials and the setbacks that we face, be they large or small, is how we respond to them. And where we draw our strength from. Facing trials and suffering well, relying on God's resources to sustain us, we grow. C.S. Lewis writes, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone. Many have found it's been in the toughest of times that they've known the greatest sense of God's presence. The growth is in the grit. Next, the way up is the way down. The way up is down. There's a strange, though consistent message which runs through the Bible. Repeatedly, we are told the way forward feels like we're going backwards. Psalm 34, 18, for example, tells us the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The people God draws closest to are those whose hearts are breaking and are crushed by life. Isaiah 57 reads, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in the high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lonely and to revive the heart of the contrite. This verse is telling us that God dwells in two places, way up high and way down low, with those who have no self-confidence, no self-belief, who are crushed by life, who are self-despairing. And Jesus tells us the way to the top is via the bottom. He who would be the greatest must be the servant of all. The way up is down. Why? Does God want us to be ever feeling bad about ourselves? To cut us down to size, to make us miserable? No. It's because he wants us to share in heaven's joy. He tells us those things because he wants us to see our need, our sickness, so that we can run to the doctor. We think we can fill ourselves up to satisfy ourselves. But according to Jesus, truthfulness comes through emptiness. We see this when a person is truly, fully converted, when we confess our hopelessly sinful predicament for the first time and collapse into the arms of Jesus, knowing I can't do it, I can't save myself, I'm broken and I can't fix myself. Having an okay attitude, oh, I can do it, I can manage on my own, is not the path to spiritual growth. Despair of myself and my inability to make it on my own feels uncomfortable because it ruffles my ego. But it's a vital and healthy step on the way to growing in Christ. What was the headline first statement in Jesus' big sermon? First thing he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. As long as a person thinks they can fix themselves, 
they're standing on the shifting sand of self-assurance. The sure foundation for spiritual growth is the solid ground of self-despair. I'm broken. I have to admit, even my best, most virtuous actions are tainted with mixed motives. I can't fix myself. This is the principle discovered by two Christians in the 1930s who were alcoholics. They were, they, they were addicted. But it led to the formation of Alcoholics Anonymous and its 12-step program, which says, I cannot break this thing on my own. I'm lost. I need the help of a higher power. The psalmist knew this. In Psalm 18, he says, my enemy who is too strong for me. Do you have an enemy? Something which is too strong for you that you don't seem to be able to conquer. The salvation that Jesus offers isn't a little assistance, a little help. It's not a patch up. It's the rescue of a drowning man. It's not a little enhancement to my life. It's the resurrection of my life. When we come to Jesus for the first and every other time, we don't come looking for a little boost from heaven. We collapse and we cry, I need you. I'm lost without you. And as we'll shortly remember, he gave his most precious and only beloved son to provide a way so that you could come to him. Self-despair is not self-hatred. No, you're beautiful. You're beautiful in God's sight. He made you in his image. And here we see the extent of his love that he went to the very limit of the most precious thing that he had. He gave his one and only beloved son to show his love for you. He's for you. But self-despair, acceptance that I cannot save myself, is a joyous free fall into the arms of the one who can save, who can rescue, who can make us new. Perhaps you've imagined that spiritual growth is a, a straight line upward to sainthood. No, it's firstly a curve down into death. The death of our egotistical, ever optimistic image of ourselves. But that down puts us in a position to rise in Christ. And is this down and then rising in Christ, a one-off thing? Down into reality and up into Jesus? No. It's an ever-to-be-repeated experience. You know, it was, as an, it was as an old man that Paul writes of himself, not that he's a great saint, but he says, I am the chief of sinners. And he meant it. As he grew in Christ, so too did his self-knowledge. What thoughts do you think go through the mind of a preacher as they settle down to start a sermon? 
Well, there's those awful thoughts of, I've got to come up with something good. I've got to come up with something, in, you know, sounds good, something impressive, something that's going to be really original. And then eventually you give up and you just pray and you say, Lord, I've got nothing. I've got 10 pages of notes and I'm not excited by any of it. Help. And that's when the breakthrough comes. That's when you start to feel, thank you, Lord. I'll just take dictation. <laughs> Repentance, self-despair. I can't do this. Doesn't distance us from Jesus. No, these are the connectors to Jesus. They're the roads which take us to the doctor, to the healer, to the miracle worker, to the promise keeper, to the lover of our souls. Finally, the fruit is fabulous. Jesus promised, as we read, if you remain in me, grow in me, you'll mature, you'll bear much fruit. What's the fruit? Well, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Is that what Jesus means? In part, yes. So we read in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who wouldn't want these in their life and character? And who wouldn't want to share life with someone who's loaded with these fruits? Love, joy, peace. Fabulous. How is this fruit produced? Dave and Anna, you might, and the worship team, you might want to start coming forward. How is this fruit of the Spirit produced? Well, I wonder if you've been down and driven round the Kent orchards at night, all those wonderful apple orchards. Have you ever done that at night and heard that sound, that kind of, as the apples suddenly spring onto the end of the branches. Have you, have you heard that? <laughs> no. No, nor have I. Because it doesn't happen like that, does it? No. As we remain in Jesus, in harmony with Jesus, staying united with him, that's when the Holy Spirit works quietly within, transforming us. And what does this fruit add up to? If you knew a person bearing this fruit of love, joy, peace, and so on in their life and character, what would that look like? Who might that remind you of? A life full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Might it just remind you of Jesus? Might growing spiritually be something to do with being more like Jesus? And do you know that's the big plan? That's God's, God's big plan. He created you, mankind, me, in his image. But that image got marred because of sin, because of the fall. But he sent Jesus as a second Adam to restore that image, that beautiful, glorious image. And we have this wonderful final verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So tells us and we all 
who with unveiled faces contemplate, some Bibles say, behold, reflect, gaze upon the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we gaze on Jesus, as we behold and reflect and realize again and again, more and more, just how beautiful and wonderful he is, guess what? We are being made more like him. Hands up, who wouldn't want to be more like Jesus? Okay. So, are you going to grow? I hope I've given you a few hints and a little bit of encouragement.